the Old, yeah, the Old Testament and the Gospel lesson. So in our Gospel lesson today, we write about John the Baptist being persecuted for the faith by proclaiming God's word. Same thing happened to Amos. However, in this time across the summer, we also read from major portions of the epistles. And we're going to read almost all of the book of Ephesians. And this book is just this beautiful, wonderful book. And I've been looking forward to preaching on this. And guess what I'm going to preach on for the next eight weeks? Really? You don't know? <laughs> it's Ephesians. It's, it's going to be awesome. And uh, um, this book, is, it's, it's just powerful. And there's a whole bunch that's going on here. Um, Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was actually the capital of Asia. Um, Asia would be what we would now know as Turkey. And so it's a very influential city. It's a very diverse city. There's lots of, uh, lots of pagan worship that goes on there, lots of melding of different religions. Um, there's a, a, a huge, huge temple there, the Temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, we can get more into that maybe at another time. But, uh, you know, there's just this, this huge cultural hub. And because of where it was located, uh, it was a key location for trade. And uh, lots, of, lots of people would come through there. And it was a strategic place to proclaim the gospel, for the gospel to go out and, and you know, for people to hear about Jesus as they came to Ephesus. And, and so what's going on there is very important. And the city was evangelized by Paul. He, he literally came there, proclaimed the gospel. People started to believe in Jesus, and the church was founded there, and it grew there. And Paul worked in this city longer than any place else. For most of his ministry, Paul would go, he'd proclaim the gospel, people would come to faith, he'd establish a congregation, he'd move on to the next town, or he'd be run out of town one way or the other. He lived in Ephesians for three and a half years. Much longer than any place else that he ministered. And, and the picture that you see there in the background, it's a picture of the great theater of Ephesus where, where Paul may have preached to the people and told them about Jesus. So he had deep relationships with these people. And you can read about this in, in Acts chapter 19 and 20, him sharing the gospel there and, and his relationship with them, so much so that, that when he has to leave, because he, he left from there to go to Jerusalem, you know, he, he knew that he was heading uh, actually to persecution and to prison and <clears throat> felt that he was being led there by God. He, uh, he left from there, and the people from Ephesus came and met him on the coast uh, of the Mediterranean, and they prayed with him. And here's the image. There's, they're kneeling in the sand together, praying, and these people are weeping because they know they're never going to see Paul again. And so from Ephesus, Paul did go to Jerusalem, and he was arrested, and he was imprisoned because of things that took place there. And they think that maybe some of what happened in Paul's arrest is what led to him writing this letter. Because, you see, Paul was arrested allegedly for bringing a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, into the temple. He didn't. Uh, but that's what he was accused of. And the person that they thought he brought into the temple was a guy by the name of Tromphemus. He, he's known as Tromphemus, the Ephesian. And these Ephesian people are like, oh, we sent him with them, and we are the source of his trouble. And Paul writes to them to say, no, you're not the source of my trouble. I'm suffering for the gospel. 
This is what I'm called to do so that people learn about Jesus. And Paul writes to encourage and to guide and to, to help the Ephesians grow in faith. And his words do the same for us. Because this letter, it's more than, more than just a letter between friends. It's a sermon that was written down and sent to the church, to all of God's people. So this letter starts out just like almost all of Paul's letter. It's really pretty formulaic. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says he's an apostle. That word literally means one who is sent, but it's only used in this context, you know, this context of one with authority to represent somebody else. It's only used that way in the church. It's only used that way in the New Testament. And he's saying, I am one who is sent by God with his authority. It's a pretty special role. And he says that he has this role by the will of God. And so as he's writing to these Ephesians, as he's writing to us, it's not just a matter of, you know, hey, I've got some ideas I want to share. He's saying, this is God's word. This is God's message to the church. This is God's message to you. Now, Paul, this person, he, he, he was an apostle by the will of God. This was not his plan for his life. The same way that in our Old Testament lesson, you know, Amos becomes this prophet because God called him to do it. He's like, hey, I was a shepherd. I was probably happier when I was a shepherd than when I was a prophet. Paul, he was going to be a Pharisee. He was going to be a religious leader in the Jewish faith. And God calls him out of that, and he makes him a founder of the Christian faith, an apostle, one who is sent to proclaim his word. And originally, Paul persecuted the church until he became a Christian. And it's an incredible story. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 9. It's actually recorded in three places in the book of Acts, but Acts chapter 9, I encourage you to read that over. And this is why he, he is saying that what he's writing about is not just his ideas. Nor is this just a personal message. This is God's message spoken to you by the one that God has sent to speak that message. In other words, he's writing this down in the power of the Spirit. He's writing this down because he is God's messenger. And so this isn't just for the Ephesians, but it's for all of God's people. It's for you. Now, when you open up a letter, after that greeting, you usually expect some kind of pleasantries. Hey, how are you doing? I hope things are going well. You know, those kinds of things. Or, or some words of well-wishing. Uh, or even sometimes you read a letter and it's, you know, dear Mr. and Mrs., Boom, right into the business of the letter. But that's not the way that Paul starts this letter. He actually begins it, the reading that, that Amy read for us, it's actually a prayer. Uh, it, it's a prayer that, 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 that comes to us from a, a Jewish tradition uh, called the Barakah. You know, blessed be the Lord our God. And, and, and he goes right into that. But he uses it in a very Christian way. It's in three parts. It speaks of Father, Son, and, and, and Holy Spirit. And he blesses God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so, you know, what, what's he doing here? I'd like for you to take out your bulletin. 
and, and to look at, uh, at page 6, to take a look at this reading. Get a writing utensil if you can, and there are a couple things I want you to mark in here. Now, while you're doing that, I want you to know that this in Greek is one great, big, long sentence. This whole prayer, this whole reading is one sentence in Greek. It's good Greek, it's bad English. So um, we break it up into, into smaller chunks to make it more understandable to us. So when you take a look at this, he starts out, blessed be, the Lord our God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you would, please draw a rectangle around the words Father, Jesus Christ, and spiritual. Father, Jesus Christ, and spiritual. Because this is a Trinitarian reference. Um, that last part where it says that uh, uh, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing, that could also be translated blessed with every blessing of the Spirit. And I think that fits better with the rest of the prayer, that it's very Trinitarian in nature. And he's saying that the triune God blesses us and that we respond in blessing, in praising him. And what he's doing is he's placing us into a context. He's placing us in relationship with God. And because we're in relationship with God, as his blessed people, we're connected to one another. We live together as people who are blessed by God. And that is a major emphasis of the rest of the book. We're going to bump into that in other places. And now as you look at that reading, I want you to circle every time that it says, in Christ, in him, or the one place where it says, in the beloved. Now while you're doing that, this whole relationship that we have with God depends on Jesus. It's in there a couple times, isn't it? In Christ, in him, in the beloved. I think about six or seven times. I think he's driving the point. He's helping us to see that Jesus is our savior who reconciles us, redeems us, who, who makes us God's people. He gives us new life and everything, everything Depends on being in him. We don't approach God on our own righteousness, so we don't approach him on how cool or wonderful or what I have to offer, but we approach him only in Jesus, only in his forgiveness and in his salvation. We approach God in faith, receiving his salvation, and then we become clothed in his righteousness, not in our own. Again, he's putting us in that context of we are in this together because we are in Christ. Now, in verse 6, I want you to underline to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in verses 12 and 14, it says, to the praise of his glory. I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky with the, the, uh, the translation. Uh, it's not bad, but I, I think that there's some issues here. Verse 6 where it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, that can also just as equally be translated to the praise of his gracious glory. So if it's to the praise of his gracious glory, and then in verse 12 and 14, to the praise of his glory, see how he's setting this up in, in three parts. He's breaking it up in this, to this Trinitarian blessing. It all fits together a, a little bit more neatly that way. 
So what is Paul saying to us here? He's saying that our creation, our salvation, our unity in Christ, our forgiveness, all of it, it's God's gift to us. And it all shows how glorious God is. How rich in mercy and love and salvation God is. And so we continually come back to this message that we praise him for his glory. For what he's done in our lives. Even the way that that God predestined us to adoption as sons. And there, there's, a, there's a trend when people translate the scriptures to try to get rid of gender when, when they go through it. You know, some of that is okay. But in this case, that word adoption as sons actually matters. And it's not to exclude women. But it's to show how incredible God's salvation is. Because you see, in this culture, it's only sons who inherit things. Women were left with nothing. You know, to count on their brothers or their husband's family or, or, or whatever... And he's saying, no, all of you together in Christ, all of you who have this faith, you have this adoption as sons, which means that you all get the inheritance. Ladies and gentlemen are adopted as sons in order to get all that God is giving to you, all of these blessings that he's pouring out. And in this message of adoption, he's saying that he chose you. Now, as I stand up here in front of you, um, you know, you might be thinking, like, I'm this incredible athlete because you know that I run and stuff like You don't? I can't imagine why. When I was a kid, I was a sickly asthmatic kid. I couldn't run, you know, 10 yards without falling over. So guess what recess was like for me when we were breaking up teams? Please let me be picked somewhere before the end. The message of this is that God didn't wait to the end. He just chose you. You are chosen by God. Now, it's tempting when we hear that to ask, well, what about these other people out there? Did God not choose them? That's not the point here. That's not what God is talking about. God is telling you your story. He's not telling you their story. And so what he wants you to know is that that you are chosen. You are God's people. You are adopted into his family. God chose you. How does that make you feel? To be chosen by God. That's something that's that's worthy to give praise to his glorious grace, right? But, But Paul... Paul is setting this stage for us. He, he, he's putting us there before God so that when we look and we see this adoption and all of these blessings that we've been blessed with, with every spiritual blessing, that we look and we say, you know, God, I'm in awe. And I respond with praise and, and worship together in amazement at what God has done. You are in Christ. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're sealed. You know, notice how this is the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is our context. This is our lives. But do you always wake up every morning like this? 
Blessed be the God of my, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You don't? Me either. And that's why we need God's word to put us in the right context. You know, the alarm went off this morning and I had snoozed three times. I don't usually do that. Normally it's like, ugh. And there's this Herculean effort to move my legs and hips off the bed so that I can sit upright and get up. Now, I'm really not feeling the blessing of the one who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places in that moment. And why is that? Why do we go through life not feeling this, this incredible blessedness that we have? Well, I think it's because the world looks at us and, and it starts categorizing us. And it starts putting labels on us. And it, it, it splits us up by, by gender and career and ethnicity and skin color and intelligence and, and looks and clothes and weights and success and, and wealth and poverty and, and all of these different things. And it puts these labels on us. And all too often when we look at ourselves, we see ourselves, the world sees us. We see ourselves the way the world sees us. And usually the way that the world sees us isn't very complimentary, is it? It tells us everything that's wrong with us. And all too often that voice in our head, that internal monologue that we all have, it tells us that, uh, that, that self-talk that goes on inside of us, it, it, it agrees with the world. And just reinforces that message. And it's not very nice. And so God would shift our focus here. He would help us to look at the world through a different lens. He would take our attention away from ourselves because we know there's a grain of truth in some of that negative self-talk, isn't there? We know the bits and pieces of our lives that we're ashamed of, that we don't want anybody else to know about. Those parts of our lives that the devil likes to put in front of us over and over again to keep our focus on them so that we live with fear and shame all the time. But God would shift our focus off of us and onto him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places. God has brought you to a new place. You are in Christ. And that changes your relationship with, with God, the world, ourselves, our neighbor. Our circumstances. How many of you know the story of the ugly duckling? How many of you are just not raising your hand because we're Lutheran? Okay, fair enough. Okay, the story of the ugly duckling. Um, the ugly duckling is an ugly duckling because he's a, he's a swan, yeah. He grows up into this beautiful, beautiful creature. And, uh, you know, when he's a kid, you know, that, that's a problem. But he grows up to be this beautiful swan. He grows into what he really is. That's kind of the story of the ugly duckling. When we are in Christ, it changes everything. Instead of growing up into what we actually are, sinners, broken, separated from God, we grow up into what God has intended us to be. In Christ, we grow into what God meant for us 
to be. God is making known to us a mystery, something that the world doesn't know according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan at just the right time to unite all things in Jesus, to give a heavenly inheritance, to give forgiveness to sinners, to redeem humanity in the most amazing way through Jesus' blood. This news is so big, it changes our relationships. It changes everything because we are in Christ. We're being shaped to conform to God's holiness in our lives, even as, as we have his holiness through faith in Jesus, through his shed blood on the cross. And he seals us. Now, Bob had that letter, and he sealed it, and that's how we normally do that today. But back in the day, you know, it was a bit of wax or some hot metal that was, you know, one of the places you can still see seals, actually, is when you go to the gas station. It's sealed you know, to, to show that the, the uh, apparatus inside hasn't been messed with so that you're getting overcharged or whatever. Um, but basically, that seal was to protect and when you look at that, the, the seals of old, they marked that this was claimed. It belongs to someone. It's marked. And you are sealed. You're claimed. You're marked. When did that happen? When you were baptized. God put his name on you. It's like he stamped you with a seal to say, this one is mine. He marked you with his own name. And because you're marked with God's name, you are protected to the praise of his gracious glory. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to all that God has done to you? All the blessings that he has poured out you, every spiritual blessing. Well, I think he calls us to put our focus in the right place. Blessed be God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he calls us to begin to see ourselves, not as the world sees us, but to see ourselves in Christ, in him, in the beloved, adopted, loved, redeemed, forgiven. And then to live to the praise of his glory. That we live a transformed life. That, that we grow up into being what he intends for us to be, seeking to conform ourselves to his will, his living in gratitude and generosity and mercy and unity, because that's what he's doing in us, and sharing the hope that we have in Christ. Amen.